Good evening. It's a blessing to be here this evening again for our final time together. It's been um, real good to be here, Re very good to be here, but I'm excited it's the last evening, <laughs> so if that makes sense. I guess before I do anything else, the usual thank yous to you as a church here. Thank you to Dave and Mary for allowing us to use your guest house. We very much enjoyed our time there. It was a real blessing. Um, it's just been a great place to stay. Thanks to the rest of you for the food. Some of you had us for meals. Most of you contributed to the meal today. Some of you brought food to the house. Um, we had far more than we needed this week, so thank you. But we, we really enjoyed that. And to all of you for your encouragement, you were, you were very easy to preach to this week. And um, I suppose Ben and some others would tell you that very quickly when you go into a church, you begin preaching at a church you're not familiar with, you get a sense for how engaged they are. And you've been very engaged. Um, so thank you for that. And we've really enjoyed getting to know you. We've had some very good chats with a number of you, especially those who had us for meals. We got to sit down and learn to know you better. That was really, really a lot of fun. And we feel like you know, we know your heart a little better. You know, I used to know the Peckway Church, but then there were some big changes. And since then, I really didn't know who Peckway Church was, but now it feels like I do again. So it's been a real blessing and encouragement. On oh, another thing, I almost completely forgot. Thank you so much for your support of the Silver Lake Church. I know many of you don't even really know who we are. But the older ones here who sent us uh, back in 93 do know that. And you're probably somewhat aware that Ben has been up there a number of times, helped us through the challenges we had when uh, Ernie, our bishop, and his wife passed away back in 2017, and we had changes in leadership there. Sometime later, Ben came to help us uh, kind of put in place a temporary um, leadership there. And uh, now, Lord willing, he's planning to come this fall for bishop ordination. So we'll have um, more of a permanent bishop um, from one of the three of us as a minister team there. So... Really appreciate that. I think he already knows that. Him and Gina know that. But thank you again, and thank you for allowing him to do that. Um, he and the rest of your minister team here have been a huge support um, in many ways, and we really thank you for that. It's the way that outreaches have been done in the last number of years have been just a really good thing, and to have the home church just be the backup. For we as small churches, it's huge. So wasn't planning to say that, but I just thought about that now, and I just really want to let you know it means a lot. So uh, I wanted to put this up here. <clears throat> a few of you have asked about things that I've talked about. One of the ladies wanted a list of the Proverbs 31 characteristics or attributes and I have some of those copies on the back table, but if there's anything else that you want that I've preached about and you don't have the list or whatever, contact me. My, here's my email, my phone number. Um, ben has my cell phone number and emails, probably a few others do. So um, please feel free, or if there's other questions, um, welcome that if you care to. I, I'm busy, but I would be happy to hear from you if I have something that you really would like to ask about or, or just ask for. And then I wanted to put up here a book list. This is a list of books that I'd referred to this week. I haven't mentioned every one of these, but almost. Every Man's Marriage, which uh, don't think I mentioned too much this evening. I will a little bit. This book has been one of the most life-changing for me in understanding my wife, as a woman. Uh, the book Hero, about parenting, and uh, one of the ladies came to me and said she wasn't able to find that on Amazon. It seems like they're almost sold out there. So I went to her website, and it seems like they do have them through other bookstores online. 
So go to megmeekerparenting.com. And uh, some of the other big bookstores, I think, have those. Um, so I don't think I'll make comments about all of them, but these are some of the books I've referred to this week. <clears throat> all right, moving on to the message this evening. Let's turn to Psalm 127. I think we'll go ahead and read that one more time, 127 and 128. If you don't mind, please stand if it's convenient for you to do so while we read the word. Psalm 127, verse 1, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord build, keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are the children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. 128. Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord, that walketh in his ways. For thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands. Happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine. By the sides of thine house, thy children like olive plants round about thy table. Behold that thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. The Lord shall bless thee out of Zion, and thou shalt see the good of Jerusalem all the days of thy life. Yea, thou shalt see thy children's children, and peace upon Israel. You may be seated. Just a quick reminder again this evening that Psalm 127, 128 tell us that our wives and our children are a gift from God. And if you have a godly wife and you have these olive plants around your table, the children, you are very, very blessed. And um, I love that you have a lot of children here. For several years, we had hardly any young babies. Uh, the main group of, in our church had kind of grown out of that stage. And now recently, we've had some young marrieds. And I love to hear the cries in church again. Yes, sometimes it's distracting. Sometimes it's difficult to hear. But um, I love that. It's music. Glad for it. <clears throat> Back to the story that I told the first evening. One of the first stories. I didn't finish everything about that, and I'm going to do that now, starting from the beginning. There was a visiting minister who gave a message to the congregation after the minister was finished. A young preacher commented to the older preacher, Brother Tim preached a good message today. He must be a good man. The older preacher responded, Yeah, he preached a good message, but I don't know if he's a good man until I meet his wife. The young preacher had a puzzled look on his face and replied, What do you mean? The older preacher responded again, If her disposition is downtrodden, sad, or she is looking down, then he is not a good man. But if she is full of life, smiles, well-kept and happy, then he is a good man, because she is the reflection of his glory. 1 Corinthians 11.7 says that a man is the glory of God, but a woman is the glory of man, which means a man will reflect God's glory, and a wife will reflect the husband's glory. Your wife is your glory. When you look at your wife, her overall disposition, her countenance, her emotions, even her physical appearance, these are connected to you. Women are very responsive to the husbands they choose. <clears throat> One of the things I said, this is a little bit of a random comment at this stage in the message here, but when the ministry to your spouse is in place and the marriage is strong and loving, what it should be, then ministry naturally happens outside the home from your household. It will be an overflow of that. This evening, the, the message is entitled, The Call to Marriage Oneness. Subtitle is, Oneness Through Serving My Spouse. So I'm going to be talking about marriage this evening. In my opinion, of the message that, messages that I preached this week, this is the most important. 
Maybe in some ways it should be the very first one in the series, but I didn't feel like that's what I wanted to do this time. <clears throat> some time ago, well, this past fall, actually, we were at Penn Valley for the marriage seminar, and we were um, actually asked to coordinate it. And so my wife and I both did some speaking there. And the, the one day after one of the sessions was over, we turned around and greeted a young couple behind us and talked to them a little bit. They were probably 30 or so, 28 or 30. They'd been married for, I think, five years. <clears throat> and we chit-chatted a little bit, and then we started asking them some, some questions about the weekend and what they, were, what they were learning and what they were thinking and you know, how, how they're doing and all that. Well, the first thing they really shared that was personal, they said, we're, we're struggling with disagreeing on how to train our children. We don't see it the same. So we asked them some more questions, and we talked some more, and they explained a bit um, how they disagree on that. And finally I said, well, the fact is that your child training issue is not a child training issue. It's a marriage issue. And they shared with us, with us quite a bit that day and admitted that their marriage was in bad shape. It was seriously struggling. Well, no wonder they had a difficult time agreeing on how to train the children. That's going to happen. So if you're having child training issues, you're trying to figure out this child training thing these days, and especially if it's not going well, just kind of forget that. And sit down with your spouse and make sure that that's where it should be. I'm convinced by now that that is the biggest need in our families. When we have child training issues, usually points back to the marriage. <clears throat> Before we get into the main part of the message, I'd like to mention just a list here. We're talking this evening about the call to marriage oneness. I believe that God calls us as marriages to, well, the Bible says we're one, but he, God calls us to, to practice oneness. To, to do the right things, to communicate well, and all those things to where we feel like we're one as well. When things are done right, there are some, the, the feelings follow eventually. If they, sometimes we have those periods of time where maybe we don't feel so loving, but they will follow. And so I believe God is calling us to that. But there's a number of things that get in the way of that. And, and when we speak at marriage seminars, one of the things I talk about, one of my topics is barriers to intimacy. And I, I don't have time to get into that this evening, but I'm going to give you the list. First of all, our enemy, the devil. He's a barrier to oneness, if you let him be. Number two is selfishness. We are just... Uh, Almost hopelessly selfish at times, it seems. Have you ever thought about that? By the time you think you have it licked, you suddenly find yourself just going back to that. Infidelity. Unfaithfulness in marriage. And that, not only, not only on the moral level, but is there anything that you do, listen, read, watch, that you hide from your spouse? That's infidelity. Gender differences. Oh, this is a big one. Number five, wrong priorities. Number six, unmet expectations. Just not telling your spouse what you expect, and then you wonder why it didn't happen. That kind of thing. So moving on, I'd like to talk a little bit next about, well, there's this book, Every Man's Marriage. It used to be called Every Woman's Desire. The other title is actually more fitting for the content of the book, but this explains more who it's speaking to, because it's for men. What is a woman's desire? The message this evening is going to feel lopsided again. You're going to get spoken to more than the ladies, sorry. But you are called to lead. 
And there's other reasons for that too. But um, what is every woman's desire? And I wonder if you men, one of the big desires for a married woman, there's, there's a lot of different things, but do you want to take a guess what I have in mind? Okay, that's part of it. That's not exactly the one I had in mind, but that's, that's certainly one. Be cherished. be cherished. That's part of it, too. It's not the exact. Be heard. Be heard. That, too. Actually, go ahead. What's that? Emotional intimacy. You hit the nail right on the head. We as men don't care so much about that, but women do. And th this is something that we as, we as spouses, man or woman, do need. But we as men often don't realize when it's not there, and frankly, we might not care that much. Uh, men are known to, to just be fine with everything as long as it's peaceful. Most of you as men probably think that as long as, as you and your wife are not fighting, arguing, and you're getting along pretty good, that everything is great in your marriage. Is that how you think? Most men do. Ladies, is that all you want? Just peace? Should I ask him? One of them nodded her, or shook her head very slowly and carefully. They, they want emotional oneness. They want emotional intimacy. And if you as men learn to understand how a woman thinks generally, you're not going to completely get it because you're a male. But it, you, you know enough to understand that it's normal for them to think that way. Your marriage could completely be transformed. At least some of them could, I'm sure. You might experience a closeness you never dreamed possible. And I believe that this thing of marriage oneness, of, of truly being one spiritually, emotionally, and physically, it's a territory the devil owns these days. Many, many, many marriages. You know in the world that at least 50% end in divorce, so obviously those don't have emotional oneness, spiritual oneness. But it goes far beyond that. The percentage is far higher than that that don't truly have this. And I talked to a Mennonite man a few years ago. He and his wife do... A, quite a bit of marriage counseling. And he, uh, he said he likes to do this unofficial poll. Whenever he has an opportunity, he, he talks to, or he asks Mennonite couples specifically, how many of them are satisfied with their marriage emotionally, spiritually, and physically? Want to guess the percentage? Take a shot. 25%? You're just a little too high. It's 20%. That's Mennonite couples. And um, I'm not trying to paint a gloomy picture, but it's, it's, it's factual, and it's what we hear when we, we talk to married couples as well. So I'm going to look next now at Ephesians 5. Please turn with me to that, and you can just kind of hang out there in your Bible for the next little while. We're going to be... We're going to be here for a while. Ephesians 5, 21 to 33. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. I'm sorry, 21. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Did you all know that verse existed in Ephesians 5? 
<laughs> 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. <clears throat> Just lost my place here. Where am I at? There we go. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Now, we've all heard a lot of teaching from this scripture. And somehow... What I usually seem to hear the most is about the wife submitting in verses 22, 23, 24. But most of the rest of the verses are talking about the men loving. And uh, I just noticed that a few years ago. There's quite a bit more there talking about the men's part than, than, than the ladies' part. And one of the natural assumptions that we've noticed that we seem to have is that when there is a bit of a problem in our homes, it's usually because the wife isn't submitting. Because we all know that all men love their wives. That's just what men do, right? Now, I, I think you do, but the question is whether your wife feels loved because um, going to work and bringing money home is part of loving your wife, but she's hoping for a little more than that. I'm just saying. And... Um, <clears throat> Kind of losing my train of thought right now. So we'll, it'll come back. So anyway, um, yeah, so there's three verses about the wives submitting, the rest of it about husbands loving, and uh, actually, let's, let's next, I'd like to read this in a different version. I've referred to this version several times this week, and it's one of the least accurate, uh, the message. But I like how it, it gives this. It seems fairly accurate the way I understand this passage. And, and I think there's some things here that, that um, it helps us to see a little clearer. Ephesians 5, 21. Out of respect for Christ, be courteously reverent to one another. Wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. The husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to the church, not by domineering, but by cherishing. So just as the church submits to Christ as he exercises such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church. A love marked by giving, not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. And that is how husbands ought to love their wives. They're really doing themselves a favor since they're already one in marriage. No one abuses his body, does he? 
No, he feeds and pampers it. That's how Christ treats us, the church, since we are part of his body. And this is why a man leaves father and mother and cherishes his wife. No longer two, they become one flesh. This is a huge mystery, and I don't pretend to understand it all. What is clearest to me is the way Christ treats the church, and this provides a good picture of how each husband is to treat his wife, loving himself and loving her, and how each wife is to honor her husband. Now, I'd like to talk for the next number of minutes here about, about the portion of this scripture that addresses Christ loving the church. And then we'll go back over and talk about the portion of it where it's the man loving the wife, the wife submitting to the husband. And so, first of all, in verse 23 to 24, the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, he's the savior of the body, and it says in verse 24, the church is subject to Christ. And I believe that when the church subjects itself to Christ, both we individually as well as the church, as a local body and so forth, we are coming under his umbrella. See, God has an umbrella of protection for his church. And when we submit to Christ, as the, when the church submits to Christ, that umbrella comes over us, that protection. It's a place of love, of warmth, and of safety. Think of how many verses there are in the Bible that talks about coming under the, um, what's, what's an example from Psalms? Um, okay. Okay. This shadow of his wings. A shield. Exactly. Any more? On the shadow of the Almighty. There's just lots and lots of verses that way that talk about the church or God's people coming under his protection. It's a place of safety and security. And when the church submits to Christ, we are in that place of protection. We're safe. <clears throat> Verse 25 to 27. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And uh, I think it's maybe the ESV says gave himself up for her. And um, let's see what it says here in the message. 25. Go all, go all out for your wives as Christ did for the church. A love marked by giving not getting. How did Christ love the church? How did he show his love to us? It's very evident, but how was it? How did he do that? He gave his life. He gave everything. And sometimes we forget, no, we don't totally, but we kind of go right to the cross, but we forget that first of all, he came down, and it talks about that, uh, right now I'm drawing a blank, Philippians 2, is that where it is? It talks about him leaving his honor and coming down and becoming a man. And then he endured all the, all these silly people on earth that were just a mess, really. And ultimately, because they hated him, they killed him. He gave his life. He, and, and, and it says that, well, he, he, on the cross there, he was, he was groaning because of not only the pain, but also he said, you know, uh, talked about God and, and, you know, God, why have you forsaken me? And that kind of thing. So um, he, he, gave, he gave everything that he had for us. And just think about Jesus' life, the way he served people, the way he washed his disciples' feet, the way he went into the homes of people who really didn't deserve it, and he ate with them, he had meals with them, and the woman who was found in adultery, he said, go. 
and don't sin anymore. Just so many ways that, that he ministered and gave, and, and like was mentioned this evening, the children. He blessed the children time and again. <clears throat> Jesus has total authority over our lives. He could do anything he wants with us anytime. But in spite of that, he never pushes. He never forces us. He never manipulates. He never pressures us at all. But it, he invites. How many times have we seen that in the Bible? It's that word, come. Come. I want a relationship with you. Come. He certainly sets the rules and the boundaries. But we get to choose how much we're going to enter into that relationship with him. It's up to us. And you know, he didn't, he didn't wait until we got our act together to come invite us. When we were unloving, it says, uh, in Romans 5, verse 6, for when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely will a righteous, for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then in verse 26, it says that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. What happened? Something wrong with the sound system? Got really loud. Okay. Wow. Startled you as much as me. Verse 26, it says that he is cleansing the church with the washing of water by the word. What does it say in the, in the message? Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. And I believe, I believe it's referring to his written word, but also his spoken word. And we're going to talk more about that as it relates to marriage um, in a bit. <clears throat> so now going back over these, and looking at how a husband and wife are to relate. Verse 22, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And this submission is a sacrifice. Submission is not always easy. It does call at times... For you to come under a man who is very, very imperfect. And I know it's sometimes very difficult. But I believe there's tremendous blessing. And again, the safety. But before we get into that some more, <clears throat> as... The husband is the head of the wife, even as the Christ is the head of the church. And the head must always direct the actions of the body or there's total confusion. And we understand that really well as it relates to our physical bodies. When our head doesn't do what it's supposed to do, it causes problems. The rest doesn't function properly. We understand that very well. And so we must have a head in the home. We, you can't have two heads. A two-headed monster is a problem. You have two heads trying to direct the same body, it's going to be obviously total confusion. And so in order of roles, the man is the head of the home, and um, the wife is under him. And then verse 24 as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. 
And I mentioned some of these same things the other evening, but we're going to go there again. I think it was the first evening I mentioned this. This, this call to submission is not asking the wife to be a doormat to step on or to be a slave to do all your chores. But it's an opportunity for you as wives to come under his headship. Sometimes it's not a very fun place to be. Sorry. Sorry about that. But in most cases, when we as men, or in all cases, if we as men, are doing our job, it's a safe place for you to be. You can rest in that. And God then brings to you protection under the umbrella of your husband. It's a good thing. Submission is not a negative thing at all. Not at all. It can feel negative, and I get that. With God... We have a perfect head, but we as husbands are often not perfect. And again, as I mentioned the first evening, this protection and provision by the husband for his wife should be spiritually, it should be emotionally, and it should be physically. You should be protecting your wife with your umbrella in all three areas. Otherwise, she feels very, very vulnerable. And for the ladies, a woman who refuses to come under the protection of her husband, that umbrella, is missing out on a huge blessing. <clears throat> and the husband, who can't or won't, by ignorance, passivity, whatever it might be, who can't or won't, provide that umbrella protection for his wife is also missing out on a huge blessing. <clears throat> Again, it's that opportunity, as we talked about the one evening, for you to be that protector, to be that warrior for your wife, for your children, for your family. And that's what we do best. That's what we're called to do, and that's what we love to do when we're in the right frame of mind and spiritually at the right place. So how should we as husbands really love our wives? Verse 25, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. <clears throat> if we as men don't know how to love our wives in a way that they feel our love, then we're missing something about Christ loving us. Because if you're walking with Jesus, if you're truly walking with him, you're feeling his love. He knows how to bring it in a way that is meaningful to you. You know it's there. And as I said this morning, sometimes it may come uh, through uh, discipline. Many times the way that we love our wives it's not meaningful. They don't understand it. We're, we're loving them with men language. And men say these things all the time. Honey, I go to work. I work 10 hours a day. I bring home money. I, I, you know, provide a vehicle. I have a nice home for you. What more can you want? Well, they want more than that. I like to go back now. To again the first evening, I was I was reading to you these Calvary Messenger articles from 2015. The uh, lady that wrote, and then the response that I wrote a month or two later, and this is now the last part of what I wrote in that article, and um, there's some questions for you as men here. Dad, I have some questions for you. Do you truly hear the heartbeat of your wife, both as it relates to her assessment of your marriage and her assessment of your relationship with the children? It seems to me this is one of our weak spots as men. Because we are goal-oriented, because we know that we are called to be the leader in the home, because it makes us feel weak when someone points out our faults, 
we generally make sure our wife isn't too free to share her heart with us, or we may never have given her a chance to really share her heart. Therefore, we're blissfully ignorant of the real problems. Our wives can be a mirror for us, reflecting to us how we really appear, and in many cases, that picture won't be pretty. After more than 20 years of marriage, I finally began to understand just a little bit more how a woman really thinks, how much listening and communicating it takes to cultivate a healthy marriage, and what love really is in a woman's language, like the agriculturists say, the pink. Men are blue, women are pink in their way of saying it. You see, a woman has a language all her own. And until you learn how to talk woman, it's going to be tough. We usually think that if there is peace, all is well. However, a woman needs much more than that. She needs an emotional connection or she won't feel loved. Ephesians 5 says that a man who loves his wife is loving himself. Your love will come back many-fold. Please hear your wife. Second question. Do you trust your wife like the man in Proverbs 31.11? The heart of her husband does safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil or gain. I recently heard someone say, trust may be more important than love. I think that is more important than we have given it credit. Yes, there are cases where a wife simply cannot be trusted due to emotional or spiritual problems, but a large, large majority of us have a wife who really is a virtuous woman. I cringe when I see a man treating his wife as though she's no good at writing a check properly, or implying she is stupid in business, and so on. Our wives, in many cases, have better business sense than we do. And many a man would have been spared much grief and thousands of dollars lost, thousands of lost dollars, if he had just listened to his wife when he got excited about a new business venture. Remember, you're one flesh, and when you were dating, she was your queen. You remember that? Why do you now treat her as though she were one of the children? Would you as a father, next question, would you as a father be pleased if your son-in-law treated your daughter the way you treat your wife? I believe this question alone, if, it, if we ask it of ourselves every day, would accomplish, would completely revolutionize our treatment of our wives. So we at many times lack, have a lack of respect for our emotional connection. Let me start over. Though we may at times have a lack of respect for or emotional connection with our daughters, even an average father has an instinct of love and protection when it comes to the treatment given to his daughter. Not just any dude will do. Is that correct? Thank you. <clears throat> we value our daughters, and usually we see them as our little princesses. As mentioned above, I have little doubt that when you were dating the fine girl who is now your wife, you treated her like a queen. You craved and longed for her love <clears throat> and wooed her heart accordingly. Now please tell me, why did you stop doing that after you were married? There may be exceptions, but in nearly every case, you can once again awaken the spark in the heart of your bride and again experience some of the romance you had those many years ago. I dare you to try. Marriage does not have to become boring. I know for a fact. Next question, are you truly a servant leader? where your example is the primary focus of your leadership rather than lecturing and trying to change your wife or your children. I believe we grossly underestimate this dynamic in our homes. We as dads quite often wish we could invoke the rule, don't do as I do, just do as I say. Unfortunately, this will not work in, our long t in the long term in our marriages, our homes, our churches, or our businesses. We like to see an example before we commit to following a leader. I believe that if we need to err on one side or the other, 
if we cannot achieve a good balance of both, it would be best to err on the side of being a good example without the teaching, rather than the teaching without the good example. A leader who refuses or cannot lead by example may at first appear to have good results by his harsh and strict command, but eventually the fruit will show its true self. Many times that comes too late in the game to switch to a different playbook. The game is already lost. If we are truly servants as leaders, we will not be too proud to truly hear the heartbeat of our wife and our children. Then make decisions that are for the long-term good, not the one that will bolster our reputation. I recently heard this quote as it relates to having influence on others. No one will be influenced by someone they don't like. This is true in our homes. And the last question, are your expectations for your children motivated by a desire to see them become godly, well-adjusted adults, or do you, or by your need to protect your reputation? Ouch, do I need to say more? We are raising God's children. We are openly stewards that have the opportunity to help weed and water the garden and wait for God to provide the fruit. Dads, this is not about you. It's about raising a godly seed for his glory. Back to Ephesians. This is talking about how we love our wives. Husband, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And as I mentioned, some versions say gave himself up. And um, somehow, at least in my mind, it seemed like we often have bought into the idea that when we get married, our wives are to give up themselves for us. I think it goes back to this help me thing in Genesis where somehow we assume because Adam was created first, the wife is to be the help me, that she was created just to kind of, just to be our servant. Well, I, I don't find that in Ephesians 5. And I do think that after the fall especially, it seemed like God just kind of allowed marriages to run their course. Marriage was very messed up. Multiple wives fighting. Um, it, was, it, it was terrible all through the Old Testament. But when Jesus began teaching, it seems to me he began calling our marriages back to the original. Where we're equals. Not in role. God, Jesus, man, woman, yes. In roles, we have an order. But in value, we are 100% equal. <clears throat> and in, in Ephesians 5, I find the burden to be on the man to give up himself for the wife. <clears throat> I would like you to think about this too. Men. While you were dating, when you were engaged and at your wedding, during all those times, there were some unspoken promises that you made to your wife. I'd like you to tell me what they were. If you don't tell me, I'm going to ask the ladies. I'm not talking about your wedding vows. That was saying some of the same things, but there was, as you were dating, as you were engaged, and as you were first married, there was several unspoken promises that she heard, heard from you. What were they? I will always love you. Were you planning at that time, I don't know who said that even, it doesn't matter. Were you planning on that time at just using the kind of love where you just provide an income and a home and that's good enough. I'll let you know if anything changes. I love you until you hear different. Was that your plan? Did any of you have that plan? Well, I won't make you raise your hand. How many of you did not have that plan? 
It was a better plan than that. So, so what else? Ooh. Ouch, John. That would be funny if it wasn't really sad. Because how many years of our marriages have we put our wife second, third, or fourth place? I'm not scolding you. I've been there. Wow. What else did you promise to her? Should we ask them yet if they have any? I'm going to ask them. You're not giving me very many. What, what did you hear from your, your husband? Or your... Don't be bashful. You think you have them all covered. Well, maybe you do. Let's, let's see. Are there any others? Does that pretty well cover it? Okay, a secure place will care for me whether I'm well or not. Mm -hmm. So any others? You will always be able to trust me. Mm -hmm. See, they did have a few more, Dave. Sorry. When we, when we don't look as good anymore, <laughs> for example. <laughs> exactly. Any others, ladies? Oh, we spent a lot of time talking. Was that a promise that we would continue doing that? It was assumed, they assumed you were going to keep on talking after you got married. Did you know that? I hate to break it to you. How many of you have done all of these things ever since you were married? Nonstop. But you would, you would appear really arrogant if you'd raise your hand. What's that? <laughs> He's got the opposite problem. <laughs> Thank you for your honesty. Sometimes we need to be quiet. Actually, we should be letting them talk in many cases. But thank you for that. You see, we don't often think of those things. We make some promises in our vows, but there's things they heard you say without words that they're assuming will continue. Did you know that every day they would like to know that you would choose them again if you were... Looking for a partner right now? And it doesn't matter what age these ladies are, they would like to hear that from you as men. Thank you. That's a good point. Did you hear that? They want to hear it too. Are you telling them? Well, I think we beat that one enough. I think we get the point. Verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse. This is talking about the church now. With the washing of water by the word. But it says in verse 25 that just like Christ does this, we are to do this for our wives. And this word is the word rima, or this spoken word. Or actually, yeah, or spoken word. Um, it probably means, you know, this word, but I think there's more to it than that. I think you should wash your wife with the water of God's word, but you should also wash her with the water of your compliments to her, and vice versa. 
Thanks for reminding me it's a two-way street here. But it is talking to the men here specifically. And so, yes, use the Word of God. In fact, read the Bible to your wife. She'll love that. Um, as we go to marriage seminars, it's interesting how I get the impression that many couples don't pray together very regularly. They as a couple. Or read the Bible together. If you don't, I'm sure some of you do, but if you don't, don't feel like you're alone. There's a lot like that. But start it. Pray together. And um, I think especially in the morning or in the evening or both, whichever works best for you, read the Bible and pray together. It means a lot to your wife. But besides that, did you, did you notice what it said in the message about that? It says, Christ's love makes a church whole, and his words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out in her. Is that what your words do? So I think it's more than just reading this word, but it's also your words in general should be words of life and blessing. And when that is done regularly for your wife... And you for your husband. But again, we're talking to the men here. The Bible is talking to the men. <laughs> when that is done regularly, it brings out the best in her. Absolutely will, will be the case. <clears throat> Not only God's words, but some of your own. Tell her how beautiful she is. What a treasure she is to you. Again, she thought you were going to keep saying that. On and on. Did you know that? Please keep doing it or start again if you haven't. Verse 28. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it even as the Lord of church. How much does a man love his body? A lot, Ben says. How do we prove that? What happens when you're hungry? What do you do about it? You eat. I mean, you, you eat somehow. Uh, hopefully your wife is at least making some of the meals. Maybe at work you have to get your own food. But you see that you're fed. When you're thirsty, you see that you get a drink. Um, when you have pain, you see that you find relief. When you're sick, you... Look for a remedy. You go to the doctor if necessary. And in general, you make sure you're well provided for. Same thing should be happening with your wife. I'd like to talk specifically about oneness through serving our spouse. Just some specific thoughts about that here. And, and I've illustrated this already by bringing a basin and a towel just like we would at communion uh, because I think that picture is, is a good picture for us to think about. We are to be servers. And again, this is certainly both directions. Probably in many cases, our wives do a little better job of this, of serving. But again, this is talking here to the men. Why? Probably because we tend to not do it as well as we should. In the Every Man's Marriage book, they say that when, we're, when we do this properly, serving is not just something we do, it's who we are. We are a server. And they mention in here, and by the way, I, I do recommend this book, but if you believe that the woman is to be a slave or to be the man's servant in the sense of I'm dominant or domineering, you won't like this book at all. It's going to sound a little strange to you at first because of how much they emphasize that, but they say this, the servant approach gives man stronger leadership, 
due to the respect his wife has for him, it becomes much easier. And one of the writers in here, Fred, he said, a man once asked me, you speak so much about serving and giving in. Don't you ever feel as if you aren't the head of the home? The answer is no. We know that seems paradoxical. But obedience to Christ leads to paradoxical blessings. The servant approach has actually given us stronger leadership in our marriage, not less. And I agree. I think it changes everything. When I began truly serving my wife, it was much easier to lead in our home. Much easier. It was easier for her to follow. It was easier for me to lead. His wife, Brenda, here says, Fred's commitment to servanthood all these years has been a wonderful teacher to me. I have been inspired to do better by watching him as he gave himself and his desires away. I wanted to do the same. Finishing up the chapter here, verse 30 and 31, For we are members of his body, of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. A while ago, I was studying this for a marriage seminar or something along that line, and I wondered what it meant here when it says, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And it's, it's somehow that is talking about Christ and the church. What, what, is the, what is the connection? Well, I think it's this, at least as I see it. Just as Eve was birthed out of Adam's side while he slept, the church was birthed out of Jesus' side while he was on the cross. Now, I'd like for you to guess what that might mean. What picture does that paint? Eve being taken out of Adam and the church being birthed out of Jesus' side. What does that immediately suggest? You probably won't guess it, but try. That's, that's very close to what I'm looking for. It, it's suggesting closeness. It's suggesting a, a serious closeness, like very, very close. Like Adam and Eve were made of the same thing. They were actually both from the same body. They were, they were one in that sense. They were, it's suggesting a very intimate relationship. And that is what the church should have with Christ. That is what a husband and wife should have with each other. It should be by far the most intimate relationship you have on earth. <clears throat> when a man and a woman are married, they are glued together into a union for life. Not only is it a permanent covenant, but it's a closeness unlike any other. And it should be close in a spiritual sense, but also it should feel close, at least most of the time. There is no other relationship on earth where there is this depth of spiritual, emotional, and physical oneness. It's um, like the definition of, of intimacy has already been given as into me see. Intimacy is into me see. You see as, as the spouse, as the wife, the husband, we see into each other. And, and we as humans like that kind of connection. We, we like to be known and still loved. And then verse 33, simply a summary of what it's been saying before. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. <clears throat> Just for a closing thought here, I, I gave to you at the beginning of the message a list of barriers to intimacy, things that get in our way. And I just want to give a quick list of what we call in our marriage seminars weapons in this battle to, to break through and, and, and come close together. Number one, 
Through prayer, invite the creator of marriage into your relationship. Number two, become a student of your spouse. Yes, you need to go back to school and learn how your spouse thinks. Number three, serve your spouse. Be a servant. Number four, accept your spouse unconditionally. His or her gifts, talents, personality, tuition, intuition, I'm sorry. And just one comment about that one. We as, as couples, we're all different. Some of us are kind of, you know, the, the man is what he's supposed to be. is a strong personality. He leads easily or whatever, and the wife is meek and mild and all that. Well, then there's the others. Well, the man is maybe a softer, more sensitive personality, and the wife is strong. I wonder if there's any of those here. Thank you. Someone, yes. And, and the one thing I want to say about that is if it seems sometimes like God has messed it up for you, like why is this? Appreciate your wife's gifts as God has given them to her. There's ladies in our church that are servers. They do all the right things. They're always taking meals to everybody. They do all the right stuff. They just look so good. It's just, you know what? That's not who my wife is. There's other things she's really good at, but that's not it. And at one time, I struggled with that. I don't anymore because she's really good at getting the ladies together and having a good time and talking about things. There's things she's really good at. And, and you're the same way. Accept each other's gifts. There's a reason. Maybe your wife is a prophet. How awkward is that? Have a woman that's got the gift of prophecy, and she, she's the one in the home that kind of sees the dangers coming in the distance. Well, that's a man's job, isn't it? So I accept her that way. Number five, take time to talk to communicate. Wow, we could go on and on on that one, but we won't. By the way, if you don't trust each other, you cannot communicate. You can talk, but you can't communicate. Number six, date each other again. I think no couple is too old to go out and have a date for the sake of having a date. After all, you loved doing that many years ago. Date each other. Let's pray. Let's stand for prayer. Someone prepare a song for in a bit then as well. Let's pray.